Well, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read a portion here. Again, for those young men in the back, I'm on this mic now. If you want to use the, the radio mic, it's turned on now. So. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read together from the verse number 21. A well-known portion of God's Word. And we're returning, of course, today to the, uh, the general subject of ethics with regards to family life. Um, we're beginning with the foundational principles in Genesis chapter 2. And we'll turn there uh, very shortly. And so you have that foundational principles. Now, I'm very mindful as we come back to the Word of God that we are presenting God's ideal directions for marriage. And in so many areas of sanctification, when you bring a message like this, uh, you're conscious that this is not everybody's experience. There are some who are widowed or widowers. And again, they feel the breaking of this situation that once they knew this and now they do not know it. And so the, a message like this can bring heaviness of heart. So I'm very mindful of that, and I do pray that God will give you grace as you consider this together. Now, those who are single, who, who do not know the, the blessing of a marriage like this, and they feel that longing, that absence. And so perhaps for those of you in that category, remember uh, that whether it's, again, a situation of, of a, a broken marriage, a, a widow situation, or a single context, pray for those who are married. Uh, that God would bless those marriages for His glory. Uh, and just pray for yourself that you would know contentment and grace in the circumstance you find yourself in. But there are others, of course, and you are married, and you realize that your marriage falls far short of this. And there's the recognition, again, to call upon the Lord. This is a matter of sanctification. And sanctification comes by the work of the Spirit. And therefore, as you listen to this again today, perhaps your burden is going to be, Lord, uh, the Spirit of God, may the Spirit of God descend and fall upon our home. For others, again, the situation may be you find yourself in a very happy marriage. Praise God for that. Realize that itself is a night of God's mercy and grace. But do not be complacent. Do not get to the point where you presume, well, nothing can ever happen in my marriage. We're, we're solid. Well, may that be the case. But may God also use the word just to remind us of the need to continue uh, to depend upon the Lord each and every day. Because we're looking at an issue, an aspect of marriage today that I think is greatly neglected. And there are many Christian marriages that are solid in terms of commitment, but weak in terms of companionship. And so there can be strength regarding we're not going to leave each other, we're going to provide financially, but there are great deficiencies in regard to companionship. And I think in my pastoral experience in, in counseling, this is the area that is deficient. Uh, particularly in Reformed and in Christian circles. So let's read Ephesians chapter 5. Um, may God help us as we come to the Word today. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Amen. May God be pleased again to bless his word uh, to our hearts. And so our studies uh, from last uh, Lord's Day are flowing out of a definition of marriage uh, that is derived from Malachi chapter 2, where that word speaks of marriage in terms of covenant, the relationship, and also companionship. And the wife of thy youth, she's a covenantal wife, and she's a wife that is to be a companion. And so very briefly, we thought about the matter of a covenantal relationship, again, an oath-bound promise, uh, so foundational to a definition of marriage, but also implying the solemnity of the marital bond, the security and the sanctity under God of such a relationship. This is a God-given institution whereby a man and a woman covenantally agree with each other to love each other till death, them do part, if I can borrow from the language of the marriage vows. And so it is a covenantal arrangement, it's a covenantal relationship. And therefore it is, it has that sense of absolute security. But moving forward, and we'll, we'll come back and circle around over some of these things in future studies. we look in some more detail in the subject. But now let's move on today to think about this matter of companionship. Now when we think of companionship, that is not only taught in Malachi. It's not something I'm deriving from Malachi and, and then drawing a whole doctrine of marriage from one word in Malachi chapter 2. Rather, it is found, it's found in itself in the language of creation. And so you go back, please, to creation, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And you'll see words again that I'm sure you're familiar with in so many ways. There is the naming of the animals. Verse number 20, Adam gave names to all cattle. And then you get to the end of verse number 20. But for Adam there was not found. And, and please note, this is two words. And help meet for him. And we often draw that into one word. Your wife is your help meet. Uh, and it's been used in that regard. But it's two separate words again in the original. It flows out of verse number 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Right, please note the connection of thoughts here. That the idea of help is not someone whom the man can thereby use in some sort of servant role, fulfilling all of his demands. The helpmate has to do with the issue of social companionship, as well as other things, but no less than that. The helpmate comes out of the idea that it is not good that the man should be alone. And therefore, in light of that, God gives Adam his wife, Eve. And we know from the language at the end of the chapter, it is the foundation of the institution of marriage. The words that are used there, you, you'll actually know the word help. We talk about the Ebenezer stone, the stone of help. Now, the word help here is that word Ezer. It has this idea as a very general word for support, protection, all that God is for us is encompassed in this that Eve was also made in the image of God. And as the Lord God is a help and a support and a provider for the people of God, so Eve is to be that for the man. 
a help meet for him. And the word meet there, again, there's a lot of uh, books written on this idea. What does it mean for Eve to be meet for Adam? Well, it has this idea of a, a, a suitable counterpart. And not the animals, but a woman that is a suitable companion and counterpart. I think that involves many things. It involves a fellow image better. They can be suitable companions spiritually and emotionally and physically, yes, and all of those things. There's a suitability that could not be met in the wider mammalian population of the world. And so God has given Adam his wife Eve in that regard. But I think foundational to it is this idea of social companionship. It's taught in the very foundation of creation. Now, one English ethicist has written on some of these issues, and he, is, he made the point that Genesis chapter 2, 24, just look at there, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. He draws the idea that there are four separate characteristics of marriage from that verse. He says it is an exclusive relationship. A man and his wife, singular, not multiple parties, but exclusive, heterosexual, a man and a woman, and that's it. One man, one woman for life. It's an exclusive relationship. He also draws the idea that it is publicly acknowledged and shall, again, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. And he gets the idea from that. So it's a, it's a public separation from the old family into a new family. He says it's permanent, shall cleave unto his wife, and then it's consummated, and they shall both be one flesh. And from that, he draws this definition. Marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman, ordained and sealed by God, preceded by a public leaving of parents, consummated in sexual union, issuing in a permanent, and here's the thing that really struck me, a permanent mutually supportive partnership and normally crowned by the gift of children. I think it's a very helpful fleshing out of the uh, definition of a covenant of companionship. But it is the sense of a mutually supportive partnership that I think summarizes this idea of marriage as companionship. Now, there's one other aspect of this, improving this, and that is that marriage is a consistent or is a picture with Christ and the church, and therefore companionship is consistent with that picture. You know, the covenant relationship of Christ and His church is a relationship of communion. Isn't that what we desire and want? We want to know the Lord God and Jesus Christ, His Son, whom He sent, John 17. This is what it is to know life. It is to know communion with God. It is to know knowledge of God in the sense of a speaking, God speaking to man, and man speaking to God. See, one of the great blessings of being saved, I hope you understand this, is that you have a relationship with the one true and living God through Christ Jesus. And so if we are to picture Christ and the church in our marriages, if, if Christ and the church is the template for our marriages, then it must include the aspect of companionship. Otherwise, we fail to do justice to the nature of Christ's relationship to the church. So you can be the most faithful, covenantal husband or wife and say, I'm never going to leave my husband or wife. And you can thereby show, you can show Christ's covenantal relationship to the church. But you may fail to show Christ's companionship with this church unless it also involves this aspect 
of companionship. And so if marriage is to fulfill its God-given goal, this concept of companionship must not be missed. Anything less than that is less than what God intends in the blessing of marriage, that it was not good for the man to be alone. And so in light of that, let's think a little bit about some of these issues. And I've given you kind of three ideas, and this is just a summary Again, there's so much more that can be said, but trying to summarize things in a concise fashion, I hope this will help. What does it mean to be a companion? What does that look like in terms of the definitions of the Word of God? Not a, not a secular definition, but definitions that are according to Scripture itself. Well, I think in companionship, there is this aspect of social delight. There is the joy of communion. The joy of time spent in each other's presence. A desire to hear the other party speak and the desire to listen as they speak, but also the desire to share with the other party the needs that you may have. This aspect of of sharing of time and delighting in such time. Now that's implied in various ways. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. This is one of the areas where sometimes the, 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 the bad jokes of marriage are, are in very poor taste. The idea that, you know, my, my wife is all talking and I just sit there and shut off and switch off and don't listen, but she likes to talk and I like to sit. Some of that idea is, is very wrong because, again, part of this companionship is the mutual desire of, of talking and listening and enjoying that, delighting in each other's company. You see, note again the idea of, of verse number 29. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. I'm just suggesting that implied in those lang- that language of nourishing and cherishing is the delight in the other person's well-being and sharing with them in time and care. And so it is a, it's a wonderful picture of how the husband is required as he loves his wife to care for, the, for the, the bride in this regard, nourishing and cherishing her. Another text over in 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, another one of these well-known marriage texts, 1 Peter chapter 3. I would caveat what I'm going to say right now. I understand this is quite a difficult text to translate and understand. But it has there in verse number 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The debate really goes around this idea. What does it mean according to knowledge? And there are some suggest that in Peter's language, the knowledge involved there is gospel knowledge. Realizing what the gospel has done for your wife will govern how you treat them. You'll realize your heirs together, the grace of life, and that may well be the case. But there are suggest, and I, 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 I lean in this direction, that the language involved here is dwelling with them according to your knowledge of them. That involves time and recognition, that you realize the personality of your wife, you realize who they are, what makes them happy, what makes them sad, understanding them, and all of that is part and parcel of the outworkings of companionship. This idea of knowledge of the husband and the wife together. And clearly the idea then of giving honor to them, 
Realizing who they are will govern how you treat them. But it's all founded in this idea of, of social delight. That's the first issue, social delight. There's also the idea of sacrificial giving here. Uh, the word companion, again, the English word comes from the old uh, French word. And it has this idea of breaking bread, one who breaks bread with another. And the word pan there in the middle of that, the word for, for, for bread in French, it has this idea that derived from that idea of sharing together. But I'm not, I'm not drawing this lesson, of course, simply from the idea of a French word into the English and then using that in the translation of the authorized version. That's not the principle. Rather, it is derived again from the love that Christ has for the church. It's the foundational principle here. And so you go back again to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. That's the duty to the husband. I think the counterbalance, of course, is the word help being used of the wife in regards to her role to the husband. We'll come back to that uh, very shortly. But you have this idea of a, a mutual sacrificing of time and resources for the benefit of the other party. And so your greatest delight, as Christ's delight is, his delight is in the joy and the gladness of the spouse, the church. And so it is in marriage that our great delight is to give ourselves for the well-being of the spouse. One of the deficiencies we see in marriage, and I have to be honest, this, this generally falls, not exclusively, but generally falls upon the husband's guilt and that is, the husband demands that the wife does everything in the marriage for his benefit without the husband in any way having an understanding of his own obligation to share in the other direction. And the marriage becomes a very one-sided relationship where the husband takes, 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 and gives nothing to support and encourage the wife. That is not how Christ loves the church. I'm suggesting to you and I'm saying to you that it generally falls in that regard but does not exclusively. And there are some men who find themselves and they're in a marriage where the wife will never ever sacrifice in any way for the husband's benefit. And so in some ways, the, the rows and the arguments in the marriage should be who can give themselves more for the other party. Not who can take, but who can be the most generous, who can be the most sacrificial, who can be the most giving for the benefit of the marriage. That's a happy argument to have. And you work through some of those issues, again, for the mutual well-being of the couple. And so you have this idea of sacrificial giving. Of course, it involves time and resources. Again, there should be a recognition within marriage that what you have individually, you have as a couple. I'm very, I say this to young couples when we do premarital counseling, how you organize your bank accounts is up to yourselves. There's certainly privacy. No church should legislate in that regard. But there should never be the understanding that's my money, and that's your money. That idea is, is foreign to the concept of a, of a oneness. Remember what marriage is? It's no longer two individuals. It's one unit before God. One flesh. You've left father and mother, you've cleaved your wife, and there's oneness. And so this idea, again, some people think, well, I can't touch that, and he can't touch this, and this kind of foreign concept of really... Living in a fashion where you say to yourself, self is what matters here. My will is what matters. What I do is what's going to be paramount in this marriage. That's, again, 
a very, very sad situation to develop, but it does often develop. The third issue is this idea of supportive action. Here I've emphasized again, please note, note Ben, please note this idea, this is, this is mutual. This is a mutual thing. Now you say, well, why am I emphasizing that? Well, because sadly, how this works out usually is again, the man says, you're my help. And without any recognition that he is also to be a help and a support to the wife. Undoubtedly, Genesis chapter 2 teaches that the man is alone and God gives to man a wife who is a help. That is underscored in the New Testament in Titus chapter 2. Please turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And you have, of course, the duties of the aged woman to teach the younger woman. But what are they to teach the younger woman? Verse number 4. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, we will come back around to some of these things. I'm just laying foundations here. We'll come back around to look at the issues of rules in terms of the leadership of the husband, the submission of the woman, the wife. We'll, we'll come back to those things. But undoubtedly, you see here, Titus chapter 2, it is the wife's responsibility to support the husband in his God-given duties, not to be a hindrance as he seeks to do that which God has called him to, whatever that might be, but to support the husband, particularly in her care for the home. The home does not become a means whereby the husband is held back from doing those things that are God's calling in his life. It's undoubtedly the case here that women are to help the husband in that regard. If you like, back in the garden, as Adam is to exercise dominion over creation, so Eve is to help him to carry out his God-given role. It's part of the issue. There is support there. But that does not, I've said this already, that does not imply for a second that there is a one-sided dimension to marriage where the man simply dictates and demands that the wife behave in some sort of service role, fulfilling everything he demands and requires without himself giving much back to the wife. Now, before I go forward, can you think of any, here's a question for you all to, to rouse your minds. Can you think of any principles in the Word of God that immediately imply the husband's responsibility to the wife in this regard? That is, again, that writer referred to a mutually supportive partnership. How, do, how might we think of this immediately? Any principle, general principle, particular, I don't mind. If you're having a conversation over lunch this afternoon and uh, your wife says to you, well, you, you are to support me. You're to help me in this marriage as I'm to help you. Well, husbands, how are you going to answer that? Are you going to say no? Or are you going to say, yeah, that's true because of these principles? Anything, in you, anything comes to mind? No. Any idea, Paul? Yeah, so there is this, this the general principle in Philippians chapter 2 of esteeming the other better than yourself. Your wife's a sister in the Lord if you're in a saved marriage. So therefore, immediately treating her as a sister in the Lord will immediately put in your mind, how can I serve my sister in a way that will benefit her spiritually in this world? 
What can I do? How can I give myself for her in order to encourage her and build her up? That's what it is to be a Christian. You're part of a Christian couple. And so some men, tragically, they treat people in the church better than their wives. They treat other women in the church better than their own wives. And that's a terrible indictment because it's understandable. She's mine covenantally. I can treat her as I please. But there is this principle in the Word of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your wife is your neighbor. And therefore, immediately, there's this obligation to do things to, to serve and to nurture and to nourish and cherish your wife. As part of it, there is that general principle in the Word of God. And there is, of course, the 1 Peter 3 passage, uh, living, dwelling with her according to knowledge. And, of course, also the very clear one in Ephesians chapter 5. Go back there. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, I for the church's benefit, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And so you see immediately the husband to love the wife in such a way as he nourishes and cherishes the wife. It is to the sanctification of the wife. It is to the spiritual benefit of the wife. And so before God, husbands must They must answer to the Lord and say, yes, I am seeking to do this by your grace and by your spirit for the benefit of my wife. It is not just take, take, take. I'm also willing to give. And we understand in light of James chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 3, we know that love is not only in word, but is also in deed and in truth. And so for husband, again, to love the wife, it will not only be in the words that are used or the cards that are given on special occasions, it will be in the actions of the man demonstrating clearly his love for his wife and the benefit of his wife. And so I think those general principles undergird the aspect that this is a mutually supportive partnership. But, please, dear folks, that does not deny the differentiation of roles. I'm laying foundations here. When you come to look at the roles, there is certainly differentiation. It is not that the man becomes the wife and the wife becomes the man. That's not the issue at all. But living out those roles must be understood under the category of companionship. That by God's grace we come together, by God's grace we covenant together, and by God's grace we will be companions together for our mutual benefit and for the glory of Christ in this world, showing Christ the mystery of Christ and the church. So that's just uh, what I want to leave you with uh, today. Again, we're uh, perhaps finished a little short today, but I'll take some questions or comments. Excuse me. Yeah, that's helpful. No, again, it's just this idea. And it's a very intentional thing, isn't it? A very focused, intentional aspect where you're determined in your mind, this is my objective, this is my goal. 
And it is year on year, month by month even, this idea that we grow mutually in the things of Christ together. Yeah, amen. So intentional, intentional actions in this regard. Oh, okay, folks, we'll close in prayer. We'll have a break uh, before we come to worship the Lord together. Thank you again for, again, coming together today in this regard. May God help us. I said at the start, the need for prayer in different aspects, in different areas, for different people in the church. Uh, please, as we think of this, remember those who have all manner of different burdens in this regard. Eternal God, we commit your people into your care. We're mindful, Lord, of, uh, again, how various people will have to respond to the word today. We think of our young people. We ask, O oh Lord, that they would have very clear, intentional desires when it comes to future spouses. You know, they would desire this sort of marriage for the glory of God. They would not, O oh Lord, marry in a superficial fashion, but have these deep spiritual desires. You know, they would desire to encourage each other and to sanctify and edify each other in their marriage. And so bless us in this regard. Thank you, O oh Lord, again for your word that speaks to us in these matters. Help us to hear the word and to walk carefully in obedience to thy commands. Give grace again to those who find themselves at this point in life and they're not in a marriage relationship against singles and widows and widowers and people who have been divorced. We commit them all into your care and we pray again for your grace to be sufficient. Bind up those hearts again that are heavy at this time and we look to thee, O Lord, in a, again another fashion. We pray for our couples. We pray for those who are husband and wife that they would live out the biblical teachings in, in their own homes, and that even at this point we would know blessing in this regard. Give us help and grace, we pray. Help us, we come to worship thy name. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.